Well, follower of Jesus, husband, father, pastor, preacher, writer, advocate, uh, someone who seeks to connect faith to life in just about every sphere. And currently, amongst all of that, leading uh, Dundonald uh, Elam Church over in Belfast, of course, Northern Ireland. But just now speaking to us live from Belfast, uh, the Reverend Malcolm Duncan. Good morning to you, Malcolm. Hello, Blair. How are you? It's good to hear your voice again. It's been a wee while since since you and I had a had a good chat, as they say. Uh, yes, we often sat in chair to chair and a radio program. We certainly, we certainly did. Now, Malcolm, and obviously you had many years uh, uh, in in Bournemouth at uh, at what was. Uh, was it Springbourne Christian Centre then? Yep, Springbourne um, Christian Centre then. Yeah, now of course it's uh, BH1 Elam. But 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 Bournemouth wasn't the beginning of your ministry, was it? No. Um, I first became involved in ministry when I helped to plant the church in Scotland um, oh, 30 years ago now, over 30 years ago, and then moved from there and pastored in uh, Cheshire for a while where I was also studying then helped to um, pastor a church in Yeovil for a year before coming to Bournemouth in um, the mid-1990s, and I was there for nearly 10 years. Mm. So it's, it's been quite a journey, because obviously then brought you to Bournemouth. How many how many years were you actually in Bournemouth? I came to Bournemouth in 1997, and I left in 2003, so eight just under eight years, mm. but your 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 track record from then, I mean, it's taking you to uh, to the the height really of uh, of of Christian involvement in in this country because you you had the Gold Hill uh, Baptist Church and then you were you you were at the Evangelical Alliance for a while. I'm not quite sure of the order. You tell us the order. So I left Bournemouth to go to the um, Evangelical Alliance where I did the job that uh, Gavin Calver, who is now the leader of Evangelical Alliance, did before he took on that role. I was Head of Prayer, Evangelism and Mission and responsible for the Alliance's relationship with the churches around the United Kingdom, about three and a half thousand churches. Um, From there, I became the Chief Executive of FaithWorks and was in that role for, um, well, 2004, uh, nearly five years, six years. And then from there, I went to um, lead uh, Gold Hill Baptist Church in Buckinghamshire, and I was there for eight years. And then came back to Northern Ireland. They say that, of course, all of these roles that we do in life prepare us, you know, because obviously God has a great purpose in everything that we do, and it obviously prepares us. Here we find ourselves in quite an astounding situation. Would you ever have thought that we would be where we are right now? Not in a million years, but then I think if you if you personalise that, Blair, I'm sure that if you were to write the story of your life, let alone the story of the United Kingdom and the story of the Church in the United Kingdom, you would not have... Um, written on a postcard that by the time you were whatever age you are now, 21, <laughs> that you <laughs> yes. would be doing what that you'd be doing what you're doing now. So none of us, I think, would predict where we are. In a sense, you know, and I say this often, we're all living Plan B lives. Um, we're all living lives that we didn't plan, we hadn't expected, and finding finding what it looks like to flourish in a Plan B life is part of what it means to be human. I think. Absolutely, and uh, and I guess it's, as you say, it's only when we really look back that we can see the 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 preparation that God has has been doing in our lives. You know, for the the present job that, of course, He has for us to do. Tell us a wee bit about the 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 church in in Northern Ireland. Uh, Dundonald, of course, is an area that I know. But tell us a wee bit about the work there. So it's situated on the east side of Belfast, um, about a mile, a mile and a half away from Stormont, our Parliament buildings. And um, 
the church has gone through its own challenges and difficulties in years gone by, immediately prior to me going, it had gone through a split, which is the same as what had happened in Springbourne all those years ago, funnily mm-hmm. enough. Um, and uh, But we are now thriving. We, we, we are seeing people come to faith regularly. Um, we are uh, engaged in our community. We're engaged with young people. We have a fantastic children's work, probably reaching, um, in terms of young people, perhaps eight or nine hundred people, young people a week. Um, our services are, are flourishing. I've got a great team of colleagues. I, I lead the church. I'm the lead minister, but I've got a great team of colleagues with whom I work. Um, we've been. It's our fiftieth year this year, and you talk about things not planning, things not turning out the way you expected them. The church. I'm 50, I'm also fifty this year in October. Um, so I like to tell the church that I was made for them. You know, um, they they were birthed in. <laughs> June 1970, and I was born in October, October the 5th, 1970. Um, And the Church is very committed to trying to think through what it means to be faithful to Christ in our culture, and what it means to believe the Gospel. What is the Gospel? How do we preach it? How do we disciple people? What is the Gospel uh, word into society, into communities, into businesses, into the hospital, which is just up the road from us, one of the biggest in Northern Ireland? And how do we how do we live out the gospel imperative of being good news people in every sphere of our lives? And that message seems to have struck a chord in the congregation and in the wider Irish and Northern Irish society and across the United Kingdom. So we'd have about 100,000 people a, a month that are listening to downloads and following bits and pieces that we do. And we've got a, a very, very healthy congregation on Sundays and a healthy suite of things that go on across the week. But I'm not sure that that's how you measure a church's health you know Blair I think that was going um, to be my next question actually because well let me just ask you that question what does measure a church's health um I think the intimacy of the fellowship with Christ and the way in which they're living out his mission so do they love God with all their heart and do they love their neighbor as they love themselves are we making disciples in other words that's the key question not I I once remember I remember reading something somewhere where somebody said um, don't ask how many people go to church to see how healthy the church is. Ask how many people the church sends into the world to be the ambassadors of Christ. That's a healthier um, rubric to use, I think. You're listening to Community Now on Hope FM with Keith Jones Bookshop, serving the community for over 50 years. Visit keithjones.co.uk. And my very special guest today is the Reverend Malcolm Duncan, who's currently the lead pastor over at uh, Dundonald Elam Church uh, in the wonderful city of uh, Belfast. Malcolm, and obviously you've been doing a lot of activity online and so on, and we'll talk about that a wee, wee bit later on. But obviously there's a big question on a, on a lot of people's uh, lips at the moment, and that is, you know, has God sent this virus? Where does God uh, you know, feature in all of this? Well, that's a complex question, easily asked, but more difficult to answer, Blair, I think. And I think my response would be, I don't think that God has sent the virus. I accept that some people do, but I don't think that he has sent it. And I would suggest that it's the wrong question to ask. And let me explain why. Let me draw you to Luke chapter 13 where there are two stories told in close proximity to one another. One is of the building um, tragedy that happened in the temple, in Second Temple Judaism, the time that Jesus was on earth, when some builders um, were killed and uh, Pontius Pilate and Herod were criticized for mixing their blood with the blood of sacrifices. It's just a 
posh way of saying polluting the temple. And when Jesus is asked about that, he says, do you think that these people deserve this? And the answer, the rhetorical answer that he expects back is no. He then goes on to say, and what about the pool of Siloam, where 18 people died? That's a pool in Jerusalem, actually called the pool of scent. Siloam means scent in Hebrew. Um, And there was an accident there where 18 people fell off a tower, a scaffolding tower, and were killed. And Jesus says, "Um, do you think that they died because they were more sinful than you? And again, the answer is no. But then he, he, he changes the question. And he basically says, don't ask why this happened, but instead ask, are you right with God? Because you will see him one day. And I think the fundamental reality underneath the coronavirus is, has God sent it? I don't think so. Some people point back to the plagues and they say, well, he sent those. The difficulty is he was clear in Exodus that he was going to send them. He was clear during the sending of them. And he was clear uh, after the sending of them. There's no such specific clarity around coronavirus. And if you go back to Spanish flu of 1918 or the uh, typhoid epidemics in the 1900s in London or the Black Plague that struck London in the 17th century, you're asked the same questions. So I don't think God has sent it, but I do think that in the midst of it, we can ask good questions about where we are with God, what we're doing with our life. And I think what God does with this um, epidemic or pandemic is he reminds us of our own mortality, our vulnerability, and he reminds the human race that had forget that forgets often about death and about the small span of our lives that we must consider who we are, why we are here, and what we are going to do with our lives. It's very interesting, Malcolm, isn't it? Because <clears throat> picking up on the back of what you've just said, uh, they tell us that there are more people now praying, uh, that there are more people actually who are accessing the various online services that there are, I mean, quite large numbers. Um, <clears throat> before, of course, the, the COVID, I mean, we were, on a, we were on a sort of a roundabout word, and in many ways, and very sadly, uh, and even in Northern Ireland, where you and I come from, where, of course, uh, you know, faith is, is very important, but secularism, of course, was on the rise. Do you feel that, that, that all of that then, negative though it was, has prepared soil for what is happening right now? Yes, I do. I, I think that I think it is obviously true that the United Kingdom and uh, and continental Europe, the Western Europe, uh, um, has been sliding into deeper and deeper secularism, humanism, and turning its back on God. Um, I think there have been small indications that that might be changing over the last five or six years. But I do think that a pandemic like this causes us to stop and think. The um, the statistics you refer to are as a result of a survey by Tear Fund that suggests that um, those between the ages of 25 and 34 are engaging in uh, church services and talking about spirituality much more deeply. Prior to this uh, pandemic, 5 to 7% of the United Kingdom attended church regularly. Um, and they, by regularly, the, stat- the statisticians mean once a month. That's jumped to 27%. Um, and 44% of people in the United Kingdom have now said that they are praying or have prayed in the last month. Now, I don't think necessarily that that means that we are in revival. I don't think that that means that we are in renewal. But I do think that it is evidence that people are asking the questions that I've just articulated to you, that they are thinking about who they are, why they are here, and we are being confronted with our own mortality. 
So could this lead to something remarkable? Yes. Is it automatic that it will lead to something remarkable? No. Um, That depends on how we respond to the current crisis and whether we as Christians take the opportunity to speak of and share the good news and the hope and the love that is available in Christ. You know, somebody said to me recently, isn't it great to see the church not using, not having been liberated from its buildings? And now this is going to sound like a criticism, Blair, it's not, but I do think that this is important. When I look at the internet, what I see is a church that has not been liberated from its buildings. It has just replaced bricks and mortar with uh, fibre cables and internet screens. Mm. We are still doing the vast majority of our ministry to each other. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, but we also have to take the opportunity to be in our culture, in our communities, and in our society, proclaiming that we actually believe in life after death. And the biggest question that people are asking now is, what happens if I die? What's going, to, what's going on in the world? Is there more to life than this? And we have the answer to that. C.S. Lewis described pain as God's megaphone to a deaf world. Well, if God is getting our attention through this, we should think about what we say about the deep, profound questions of life and life after death. Uh, What uh, Pete Gregg uh, was commenting uh, just a few days ago about this in a different context and asking, what are we doing to share this this good news of Jesus? And C.S. Lewis, you know, in 1941, preached a a message in a a church in um, Oxford, which became a little book called The Weight of Glory. It's his sermon. And uh, what he says in that in 1941 is worth reading if listeners want to grab a hold of the book. There was a a similar sense of uncertainty and mortality because of the Second World War. And C.S. Lewis says churches must talk about the hope of heaven and the gift of eternal life and the reality that we believe in life after death. Mm. We must do the same again. And I'll talk to you a little bit more about this in, in the final segment of our of our interview t- today, Malcolm. One of the things I I, I think also that, that for me anyway has been a little bit concerning. Whilst I, I, re- I think it's fantastic that the churches are using technology, but we do seem to be doing a lot of things in in uh, not not so much together in unity. I mean that wonderful wonderful blessing song that has come has has been a real blessing to so many because it not only speaks of the hope that we have in Christ but also is bringing together churches in a way you know churches in Belfast churches in Scotland churches in England Ireland and Wales. When I listen to a lot of the the on air services, it is pretty much not speaking so much to me of joint. Activity and unity uh, so you so obviously we need to be as you say sharing the gospel but what in terms of of displaying the fact that god only really recognizes one church well it's a profound challenge we should be pointing to each other i mean one of the very simple things that we can do is when we prog- produce our online services for example in Dundonald, i make sure that i pray every week for all of the other churches in northern ireland and across the island of ireland I take the opportunity to think about other church stories. I share their stories. I'm pointing to them. I've been on the phone to them, away from the services, saying, how can we work together? Our compassion response to East Belfast is a joined-up one. We're trying to work out not how we are the answer, but how we are part of an answer. And um, put bluntly, unless we do that, we are not displaying the unity that God has given us. And God commands that unity, uh, blesses that unity, and commands a blessing over it, obviously in Ephesians 4, and in the Psalms, and in John 17. Um, and we could do that by, by as simple a thing as ringing somebody from another church. Here where I live in County Down, we have, um, in my neighbourhood, 
we have a number of Christians that live here. So on a Saturday night, we stand in our step and pray the Lord's Prayer together. And we have let our neighbours know not what churches we're from, but that we stand together. So we'll do their shopping for them together. We'll share responsibility for our community, not as churches, but as Christians from across um, different streams and expressions. So, Malcolm, uh, we we did ha- we haven't said much really about your prolific uh, uh, writing, and in fact, I was talking to our good friends in Keith Jones there about some of your books. The most recent one, of course, is is the one about grief. What inspired you to to write it? Going through grief myself, uh, Blair, in the space of uh, sixteen months between July two thousand and fourteen and the end of two thousand and fifteen, beginning of two thousand and sixteen. I lost six family members, four to suicide and two to sudden death. And um, that uh, catapulted me into a season where I had to really think about what I believed about life and death and how I could navigate myself, my family, and those that I was seeking to care for through that season. And in the end, that was the catalyst that led to the writing of the book. So that that's an excellent book for the moment, isn't it? Because I mean, I mean, there's so so many deaths right across the world at the moment in our own country. Over over thirty two thousand uh, as well. There, there's never been a time uh, really when when a, a book like that. Uh, what what sort of content have you got? What sort of issues do you address? So the book, I think, is being very widely received and very widely read. It explores what to do when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Um, It's particularly aimed at those who have some level of faith and are thinking about that. And for all the questions that that brings up and the uncertainty, the pain and the sorrow. But it critiques some of the ways in which our society talks about death, you know. Um, it's just a visitor that you have to welcome. It says, no, that's not true. Death is a squatter that nobody wants to live with them. Um, it explores uh, the way in which death can stifle us. It can make us feel as if we can't breathe. It gives permission for honest questions. It gives us the opportunity to think and to reflect. And it explores different motifs and pictures of death So that, uh, from Scripture, walking through the valley of the shadow of death, um, so that we can find hope in the midst of it all. It's a space for honest questions, It interrogates my own personal journey of grief. It also interrogates um, the journey of grief that people might be facing, whether they feel alone or who they talk to, how they work that out. Um, And then the second half of the book goes very slowly through the story of the resurrection of Lazarus and pulls out some powerful motifs from that that can help us as we navigate death ourselves and asks us, are we ready to face it? Because we will face it. And if we're not, then here are some helpful things that might help you to prepare your heart as you walk through this dark and difficult journey. But it's a book of hope. It's not a despairing book, but it is a very, very honest book. And I I am grateful to God for just how much he's using it. I mean, literally thousands and thousands of people have been contacting me, telling me that they're reading it and they can't put it down. They're weeping. It's given them hope. It's given them permission. It's given them strength. It's given them a sense that um, God understands what they're going through and that he cares and that they don't have to pretend. It's a very raw, honest and hopeful look at grief, sadness and loss. And that book, of course, is, is Good Grief. It's, a, it's the right sort of title. Just very quickly, though, because you had written, I mean, you've written loads of books, but um, you've written the Spring Harvest theme and uh, and a couple of years going. And, and then, of course, you had Night Blessings. Uh, I think you're on, is it on the second book? Um, yes, I've wrote, the second one's published and the third one's on its way. 
But of course, now blessings is something now that you're doing. And, and, and in fact, I was saying to people, you don't just have to read it. Now you can actually go on Facebook and uh, I don't know, what, what platforms are you on with your night blessing? Well, it's predominantly broadcast on Facebook, but then that's shared by people into different contexts. But um, the, the platform that I shared on is on um, my own personal Facebook page, Rev Malcolm Duncan. And um, it's, it's shared live at 10 p.m. each evening. Sorry, just give us that, that what the... The, um, the, the Facebook page? Yeah, yeah. It's facebook.com forward slash Rev, R-E-V, Malcolm, M-A-L-C-O-L-M, Duncan, and it's all one word. Now, I mean, I've, I've tuned into a few of those, and again, you're, you're getting very large numbers joining for those. End of the day, but it's often an, a, a blessing and, and a little reflection uh, on the day. But again, uh, what, sort of, what sort of feedback are you getting from them? Well, so far, um, as of this morning, I just checked, um, as of this morning, I've had 194 people tell me that they've come to faith through these in the last six weeks. Um, and uh, we, I'm getting emails from people that are isolated, that are widows or widowers that have lost people, uh, messages from people who have um, lost people that day or in the last few weeks. Um, thousands and thousands, there are about 100 and, 100 and odd thousand people a night that are listening to it in, in the space of the 24 hours. Uh, it's being shared and listened to. And the messages that I'm getting is it's just giving people a sense of hope, a sense of God's presence with them, a sense of peace, a sense that this gospel, this good news, that God is near, is something that they can relate to. I don't assume that everybody that's joining is already a Christian. So it's a wonderful and powerful space for people to be exploring faith together. And there's a lot of vulnerability and honesty. And in the comments boxes, there are. it's not unusual to have 2,000 comments as people pray for one another and read each other's prayer requests and reflect on them. It's remarkable, Blair, really remarkable. Mm. And that you're broadcasting at 10.30 still. Is it, is it always 10.30? No, 10 p.m. So that's at 10, 10, 10 p.m. Yeah. On, on facebook.com forward slash Rev Malcolm Duncan. Well, Malcolm, I can't let you go because obviously right at the heart of who you are and what you do is the, is the good news uh, of the gospel and right in the middle and, and you know what whether it's your books or whether it is you know the night blessings or whatever you're you're communicating a message of hope and of course you're no stranger to hope fm so the airwaves are yours tell us something about this message of hope the the goodness of christ is evidenced to us in an outstretched hand and I have been reflecting just over the last couple of days on something that I, I pray will be a blessing and encouragement to you that I wanted to wanted to work out what would have what would the Lord have me to say to my friends that are listening to Hope FM. And it's very simple. There are lots of questions at the moment. Questions about why the COVID pandemic is happening, questions about death, questions about life, questions about isolation, questions about fear, questions about God Himself. And when you reflect on one single statement, a brief statement from the Gospel of John, it, it, it moves us, challenges us, and invites us to respond. At the beginning of John's Gospel, the writer sets out something called the prologue, which explains a little bit of how the world began and where it came from. It's a mirror of Genesis chapter 1. And he starts like this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The word that is used for uh, word in that uh, section of scripture is logos. And here's a different way of translating that word. It means reason, it means purpose, it means understanding, it means the reason for everything. 
So let me suggest to you a simple way of translating that simple statement. In the beginning was the word. And it's this. In the beginning was the answer. So before we ask our questions, God has the answer, and it is Christ. In the midst of our uncertainty, in the midst of our fear, in the midst of our isolation, in the midst of our sorrow, and in the midst of our loss, in the beginning was the answer. And the answer is Jesus Christ. And if listeners need to know the answer to life, if they need to know a reason to get out of bed in the morning, if they need to know that there's somebody there, if they need to know that somebody understands, then it begins with the answer. And the answer is Christ. And he is there for all who will respond to him. He has already stretched out his hand, and I pray that you will receive and take the hand of friendship and love that is offered to you by the answer. Malcolm, can I just ask you maybe to, to pray before we introduce your final song and, and maybe that prayer that people could join in with if they, if they want to make a commitment to Christ as, as you have recommended they do? Of course. Father, we come to you as we are with our honest questions, our uncertainties, our fears and our longings. And some of us cannot give you our praise, so we give you our pain. Some of us don't know how to pray, so we sit or stand in your presence and ask that you will accept us as we are. Guide us to a place where we understand life through your lens. We give you the jumbled journey of our mistakes and our regrets, the things that we have got wrong. We give you the things that we wish we had not done or had not said. And we give you the things that we wish we had done or had said. And we pray that today you would take us as we are and give us new life and hope through your Son, the answer to our deepest sorrows. And we thank you that in him we find life, meaning, and purpose. Transform us. Thank you that you take us as we are, but you do not leave us there. And we pray that you will write straight with our crooked lines and that you will tune our spirits to the music of heaven and make our lives count for you. Amen. For more inspirational interviews, podcasts, and Hope FM best bits, visit hopefm.com forward slash listen again.